In 2012, the Smithsonian put out an article about Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, the author of the Declaration of Independence, and one of our nation's founding fathers. In this article, they suggested rumors of a potential mistress in his life. After his wife had died at the age of 33, it is said uh, to have been true that uh, he had a woman uh, there that was one of the slaves but had distinct privileges. Though they have failed to confirm that with positive proof, uh, a recent archaeological discovery uh, a decade or so ago uh, due to a bathroom expansion led to a secret room in Jefferson's Monticello home. Many people have kind of been speculating over the last couple hundred years over such a dilemma, and many would say that it might have been true. The reason I tell you this story, though, is that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he does clearly reveal to them that people of God should be in the light, and that eventually what we do, even though it might have been done in secret, will one day be revealed. I don't have a clue what Thomas Jefferson did with his spare time. I don't know why he had a secret chamber in his Monticello home. God knows, and ultimately, uh, God knows what it is that we're doing with our life as well. And today, we're going to take heed of the warning that Paul gave to the church in Ephesus, a church that was distinctly uh, to be different in a culture where pagan living was rampant. Uh, where there was a uh, temple to uh, the Grecian god Diana or to Artemis. And uh, there was uh, licentious living. There were uh, sexual pleasures taking place. And Paul says, you, my friends, you, uh, church in Ephesus, you are to be the light in the darkness. And so today, we want to just ask the Lord to help us understand this text but most importantly, to apply it to our lives. And so let's take just a moment and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the blessing of being called your people. Uh, Lord, we are sheep of your pasture. And you tell us that you will walk with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys. And I pray that regardless of where we are today in this season of our life, that we can draw comfort from the fact that you are with us wherever we go. And just as you proclaimed to Joshua many, many years ago, that we should take heed, that we should be strong and courageous, for the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. Lord, help us today to honor you, to love you, to serve you, and learn from you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In light of last week's message, uh, we want to just backtrack just a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. In uh, verse 8, we're going to pick up on the very last half of that, when Paul encourages the church um, in Ephesus to walk as children of the light. And then he says in verse 9, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so Paul's commission to the church was to live in the light. 
uh, to do what was right in the sight of the Lord, that their lives would be refined, and that even though uh, we might face affliction or suffering uh, in this life, that ultimately we know what is true in the Lord, and we seek to live in Him and please Him with our will, with our ways, with our lives, with our finances, with our marriages, with our parenting, with our business partnerships, and all things. We want to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so that's why he picks up in verse 11, and he says these words, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And so in contrast, what he's saying is, is because we are the people of God, we live in light, and because Jesus is light and has no fellowship with darkness. First uh, John 1, we know that we ought to be walking in Him. And that means that uh, we don't do things in secret. Uh, we don't keep things in the dark. Matter of fact, Paul will go on and he explains that very thing. And he says, so as we take no unfruitful or uh, barren uh, works of darkness... Instead, we should expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So what he's saying is, he goes, listen, there are some things as believers that we don't do. As followers of Jesus, a part of the way, uh, a part of uh, the life that we have in Christ, being crucified formerly the way we used to live, living in Him, dwelling in Him as He dwells in us, there are things that we don't do. And Paul says there are things that we don't even speak of. There are certain things that uh, in the course of a believer's life we ought to not be a part of. Uh, the very things that Paul listed uh, in the very early part of this chapter in verses 3 and following is he just talks about sexual immorality. And you think about uh, the things that we oftentimes are a part of or uh, filthy conduct or um, other things that ultimately don't honor the Lord. He goes, there are things that you don't take part of. You don't even talk about those as believers in Christ. We, we put off the coarse jesting and the crude talk. We quit living the way that we used to live because uh, we don't live in the uh, flesh because the flesh is contrary to the work that God desires to do us with us in the Spirit. And so we know that the uh, the Spirit of God and our flesh wage war against each other in Galatians 5. And so we want to put off those old things and rather expose them. And the idea of expose them there uh, in this text is uh, just the word uh, alinko, which literally means to bring to light. And so think in a sense uh, that you're in a dark alley and you can't see much and you stumble around. And in ways you walk around in fear because you're not sure what's going to jump out at you. You're not even sure what it is uh, that's lurking around the trash bin. Uh, but if you were to just light that up, if the sun rises, you see clearly Paul says that in our lives, we ought to expose it. We ought to put a light in everything. Matter of fact, we shouldn't find ourselves in dark places. We should find ourselves in places where there is light and where there is fruit. Matter of fact, think about it real quickly. If you and I um, were to look at the process of photosynthesis, it would 
involve light. Without light, nothing grows. And so what we need to understand that is that we grow in our faith in Jesus Christ, we do so by living in the light. Why? Uh, because the light helps us not to hide things. Uh, the enemy is scared of the light because he's the father of lies and he loves darkness. Uh, the other part of it is that we grow best when we're in the light. And so we want to be in the light and we want to continue to move forward. Why? Because we don't want to do shameful things in secret. So we don't want to do them. We don't talk about them. But we expose them. Verse 13. And so when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now listen, it doesn't take anybody in this place this morning to realize uh, that you don't have to be super intelligent to know that, that fact right there. That anything that's exposed by the light becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is Light. And the idea is this, is that if you and I uh, are in this room because we are in fellowship together in the light, we don't do things in darkness. It means that we can't do something in darkness amongst all of us people and it not be clearly exposed. The idea is that when you put things out in front of you so the enemy can't attack you, manipulate you, or control you, that it means that everything is honoring the Lord. Why? Because it's in front of you, it's in the light, it's exposed, it's revealing the truth of God in your life. And Paul says that's the way that we should be. Why? Because if you don't put it in the light, then the enemy will lurk on you. The other part of it, though, is that you may resist putting something in the light because you're, you're afraid that eventually it's going to be exposed. And here's what I want you to realize. Eventually, what you're hiding will always be exposed. And there are some of us in this room where we may say, well, you know what? I'm going to die and I'm going to take my secret with me. Listen, even if you die and you take your secret with you because of fear or because you're afraid of what people would think about you and you live in shame of past regret, regardless of what it is you are keeping in the dark, God already knows and it's already in the light. Because God is always the light. And so you haven't pulled the covers over his eyes. You haven't fooled him. You haven't duped him in any way. And so he knows. And so you can come to him with that for freedom, for hope, and ultimately so that you no longer have to hide it away in a deep, dark chamber of your past. Listen, friends, because of Christ and what he's done for us as he ransomed us and redeemed us in the cross, we no longer have to live in isolation, in fear, or in abandonment because Christ has rescued us. He has kept us secure. We are his, and we hear his voice, and we can follow him. And so we know that we should live in the light. Let me just give you one quick warning. I think one of the greatest things for us as believers, as we live in the light, is that we rectify our sins quickly. We go and we make amends and we share with someone. We seek forgiveness. Uh, we try to reconcile what has been made wrong. And listen, there is a distinct difference in our attitude and our beliefs when we keep things in the light because one produces the idea of continual confession and another one produces the idea of being caught. 
So when you live in the light, the enemy has no control. You live in freedom and you embrace the idea of confessing to God and other people on a continual basis. But when we live in darkness, then we're afraid of getting caught. And when we do, we finally allow everything to blow up. We run, we hide, and we isolate, just like what happened in Genesis 3. And so because we're afraid of what might actually happen, if we seek uh, reconciliation, we seek freedom, and we keep it in the light, we oftentimes believe the lie that we should keep it in the dark. But Paul says, by no means... Do you allow something to be kept in the dark where it's not visible? So then he says, as a result of making things visible, therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Uh, the idea here is, um, is the idea of what it would look like for us to awake out of our slumber. The idea really is to realize that you and I are to have our eyes alert. Our heads should be on a swivel. We should be looking for where the enemy is trying to uh, pounce on us. We should be aware of our surroundings. We should be talking about what it looks like to live for him. The problem is, is that many of us, we can't keep our head on a swivel because we're asleep. And here's what I want you to know and hear this morning. Lean in with me real quickly. You can be asleep and do lots of things. You can be asleep and you can speak. You can be asleep and you can actually walk. You can uh, be asleep and you can hear someone. You can be asleep and you might actually sing while you sleep. I'm not sure that it's a joyful uh, noise or a melody of any way that produces praise to God, but you can do it. And there are some of you that you can even think or you can dream when you're asleep. But the point of this is this, is that you and I would never ever claim to be awake if we're actually asleep. And so Paul says, wake up, pay attention, don't go to sleep, don't get an idle mind, don't rest uh, when the enemy is On the attack, be ready, stand firm. As we get to Ephesians 6, we need to be prepared. The idea of that is that we don't slumber. We don't get slothful in our walk with the Lord. We don't forget to pursue um, relationships with other people and community. Like We want to stay vigilant. Paul says it this way to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, for you are children of the light. You're children of the day. You see the language there. Hey, you're, you're children of the day. And then he's going to contrast that. He goes, we're not children of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let's keep awake and be sober. For we, those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of hope of salvation. Now, he's not uh, giving uh, um, an actual um, idea that, hey, people who are in the light are are actually sleeping at night and those who are drunk are drunk at night and meaning, hey, that's what you should pay attention to. Those are practical pictures of what it looks like. He goes, those who are in the light do things normally during the day. But those who are in the dark, they do things that are foolishness at night. And it's just a contrast uh, 
contrasting view of what happens with good and evil. Good keeps people in the light. Evil keeps them in the dark. And so you want to be paying attention to that. And Paul said to the church of Thessalonica, he says the same thing to the church in Ephesus. Stay awake. Be people of the light. Put things in front of you. And then he moves forward with this statement. Therefore, or look carefully. Then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And he uses the word uh, carefully there, which is an interesting word. And it's literally the word just um, acribos. Uh, The word acribos literally means to uh, hit with pinpoint precision, to pay attention to carefully. Another idea of is that you would hit the target right where you're supposed to. So think of uh, a bullseye and you hit the target. The aim in the Christian life as we walk and we fellowship in the light is to walk carefully. That means that we're accurate in our steps, that we do everything when we walk that is done in a manner that produces fruitfulness. And so I oftentimes think how foolish men and women, uh, including me in certain seasons of my life, have allowed my feet to take me places they shouldn't go, to allow my hands to do things they shouldn't have done, my eyes to see things they shouldn't have seen, my mouth to say things that they shouldn't that it shouldn't have said. At the end of the day, when we are watching carefully, when we're living accurately with precision, then we're paying attention to how we live. We're wise as opposed to foolish. Now, what I want you to realize is that we walk carefully in wisdom. That's what Paul's saying. When you think about wisdom, uh, it just comes from this word in the Greek called uh, sophos, which um, is the word that you would be a skilled artisan or that you would know distinctly what is happening around you. You would, in a sense, be a man or a woman of great knowledge. Matter of fact, we get an American word from a partnership of two words. One is the word phileo, or love, and then sophos, phileo, sophie, philosophy. We get philosophy from the love of wisdom. But here's what I want you to realize. Philosophy in God's eyes looks way different than philosophy does in man's eyes. Matter of fact, there's many of us uh, that have recently sent kids off to college or they're starting this next week and they're going to be taking class called philosophy. And in philosophy, there's going to be a professor that says that philosophy or the love of wisdom begins with man. And a man should decide his own path and ultimately we as men should decipher and distinguish and be learners of the truth. But at the end of the day, in our love of philosophy, we get to determine what's true. But when you look at philosophy from God's view, then a freshman in college has to take philosophy in a different angle. Because God is the one who is all-knowing and all-wise. Matter of fact, uh, we know that uh, Proverbs 8, uh, that Wisdom has always been. Why? Because God is wise. And wisdom was with God in the beginning. Matter of fact, because God is all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere, we know that He is the author of truth. And He is the one who gives us the distinctives of man in which we follow. The challenge is, is that we live in a culture 
that has a broad way as opposed to the narrow way of God. And so we think that oftentimes the culture should distinguish what it is that we do where God's way says, no, walk carefully. Why? Because you're a person of light. You're a child of God. You're an heir to the king of the universe. And because of that, you're a member of his body. You're a priesthood of believers. You should walk carefully on the narrow way that leads to life. Why? Because the broad way leads to death and destruction. And there's many of us that this morning, as we listen to the words that Paul wrote and penned to this church in Ephesus, we know that our lives are, are ultimately wasting away. And we feel the angst of this even now that we have walked in foolishness. That we have not been wise unless it's been in our own eyes. And I'll tell you that we have to be paying attention, be awake. Matter of fact, Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. We don't want to do what's right in our eyes. We don't want man's way of the love of wisdom. We don't want man's philosophy. We want God's truth. Proverbs 13, 14 says, The teaching of the wise is the fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Look, if you want life, follow God. You want death, follow the culture. Paul is saying, you want to die? You want uh, angst? You want chaos in your life? Hey, then stay in the dark. Don't, don't do uh, what, what I'm calling you to do. Don't do what honors the Lord. Come up with your own wisdom. But he says, if you want to be a person of peace, You want contentment. You want order. You want joy. You want satisfaction. You want to make a difference. Then he says, be a person of light. Imitate, mimic God in all that you do and say. And don't forget to be accurate in the way that you live your life. Proverbs 13, 20 says this way, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Listen, think about all the deeds of darkness you've ever been. How many times did you do those alone? Oftentimes we associate with other people in our darkness. But what would it look like if we linked arms with people in the body of Christ and we just began to move forward in light? That we, in a sense, armed ourselves with the body. Uh, Not just the armor of God, Ephesians 6, but what if we had community? We were bearing one another's burdens the way that we're called to do, Galatians 6. What if we were gentle and hospitable to one another? What if we were uh, carefully walking alongside in this journey together? That's what the Lord has called us to do. And so here's the deal. We should walk carefully. We should love the wisdom of God, the truth that he offers. We don't follow culture. We don't follow our feelings or emotions. We don't follow foolishness. At the end of the day, we follow the path, the narrow way that leads to life. I don't know about you, but I should get an amen. Amen. That's the goal follow the narrow way. Verse 16 says, and making the best use of the time because the days are evil. At the end of the day, Paul says, look, our time is limited. And he gives two words there. Uh, the making the best use of the time is this word, um, ex uh, agarazo, which literally means 
um, to redeem or to buy back. Think about a businessman who's going to seize an opportunity. Or maybe some of you aren't business people, but you love junking or you love garage sales. Uh, I love garage sales. I love going to those because I'm always looking for a good deal. And guess what? Yes, I am that guy who's always trying to talk people down at a lower price. I oftentimes tell my wife, it's not about what you buy, it's about the price that you buy. It's not about selling it high, it's about buying it low. And I am that guy. And so I confess that I'm sure I'm an annoying guy at a garage sale. But what I'm doing is, is trying to seize the moment. And that word um, is literally in the Greek meaning that you would see something and that you would redeem it or buy it back, that you would purchase it that you would uh, notice the opportunity to jump on it, either because it's a great deal or because it's got redemptive value. It would mean something to you if you had it. Now, somebody else may not see the value in it, but you do. It's the same type of way that God sees us in redemption, that He saw us even when we were lowly and confused and sinful, and Christ loved us enough to die for us, that He would buy us back. And as He purchases us, sin still says that it must be atoned for, that there should be bloodshed. And so God says, look, I want to redeem a broken person. I see value in them. And so I'm going to send my son. He's going to lay his life down so I might set the captives free. That's what this is talking about. It's a redemptive value. But here, Paul says, you ought to make the most of, or the idea of redeem, the time. And that time is the word in the Greek, which is kairos, which literally means a season of time. Uh, Think about a time that's set and it comes and it goes. Uh, A kairos type of time is that right now we're in the miserable heat of summer, but just beyond the the, the mountain is uh, this idea of fall. Cooler weather, leaves falling, and then it's going to prepare us for a new season. And that's a season of time, kairos. It means that there is a distinct beginning and an end. It comes and goes. And so Paul says, because we're children of light, we ought to watch how we live. Why? Because we're redeeming the time. Because God took us and he molded us and shaped us and forgave us that our life has to count. And I don't know about you, but I need a constant reminder of such things. Because I can easily look at my life and I can get caught up in the rat race of doing things around the house, making sure that the yard's mowed, making sure that kids are fed and that their baths and their beds are accomplished, getting stuff done for work and all the other routines and thinking about business and about life and about uh, what it looks like to have all these things done. But when's the last time that you just stepped back and just said, God, would you just give me a different view? Right now, it seems that I'm looking right at the middle of the parade as it goes by and all I see is the float right in front of me. But God, what would it look like if you just kind of raised me up above the clouds where I could see the whole thing? God, would you give me a bigger view of this life? God, would you remind me of what David says in Psalm 39, that that my time is limited, that it's literally a hand breath. Uh, That literally, that word in the hand breath literally means it's a four-inch measurement. It's it comes and it goes. James says it's like a mist or it's like a vapor. It literally is here and it's gone. That's what our life is. But here's the deal. We are frantically chasing things in life and we're forgetting to redeem the time. And when I talk about redeem the time, I'm talking about making our life count in the midst of our walk with Jesus. 
For many of us, we have been planning our life since the day that we were kids. For many of us, we aspired to grow up. We knew what business we were going to do. We knew uh, who we were going to marry or what that would look like. We knew how many kids we were going to have. We knew what job we wanted, what college we'd go to. And then, lo and behold, those things begin to pan out in our life. And then we decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to have a family, and and then we're going to raise this family. And then you take your kids on the same process you were, and you grow them up only to go through grade school and then eventually into high school. You hope that they get college or a vocational trade that they're successful in. You see them get a job. And then one day you look up, and you are older and you're wiser, right? Praise the Lord. Got to be careful how I say that. But the deal is, is as you think about that, you go, where did my life go? How is it that these seasons keep going faster and faster? And Paul says, listen, as your life comes to an end, make sure that you can look back and you have seized the redemptive moments, that you have shared your faith with your neighbors, that you have forgiven people as Christ has forgiven you, that you a ministry, your main theme. If you're teaching in public schools, listen, the ministry of God is the main thing there. It's not about lesson plans. It's not about paperwork. It's not about um, professional development courses. It's not about teaching to the state uh, standards. It's not about a test. Yes, those things help you be successful in your job. But the main thing is watching a little girl come in your class who you clearly know lives in a dark place and she's looking for a tangible expression of the hope of the world here. And you are that. Be the light. Watch how you live. Church, people are looking for that in all contexts of our life. They're looking for it in the business place. They're looking at it in schools. They're looking for it in uh, Uh, all sectors of our life. Will you be the light? Will you walk wisely? And I'll tell you, you know where else they're looking for? They're looking for a church that is without scandals, that's above reproach, that, that they ultimately can see that there's a distinct mark on the people who go to that place. And I pray that Stone Point is a church in our culture and in our county that's known for people of the light, that we fellowship with God and we do not do things in darkness, but we walk carefully and we redeem and maximize our time on this planet. Why? Because the days are evil. And so God has clearly said there's a standard of morality in which we live. There's a way that we walk in the Spirit. Now do that for the glory of God and His kingdom. And in order to do so, He says, you can't be foolish. So verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I don't know about you, but if you're not going to be foolish, Paul says it this way to the church of Colossae uh, to help us with this and pay attention to this word, phileo also, or sophos, philosophy. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. He goes, you don't want to be foolish, then do the things of the Lord. 
If you don't want to be foolish, then hey, think about who it is that you're with. Matter of fact, I think about Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2. It just says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Listen, at the end of the day, we've got to decide that we're not going to be foolish. And so we're not going to do what's right in our own eyes. We're going to follow the Lord. And then he says in verse 18, So, In light of those things, don't get drunk with wine. Uh, The idea there is the word in the Greek, which just means to be intoxicated, to be foolish. Things that you do in darkness, uh, as Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica. He goes, don't do that. He's not saying that you can't have an occasional drink with wine. Because I looked at that word up in the wine, uh, or in the Greek with wine, and it literally just means wine. Okay, It doesn't mean watered-down wine. It just seems to be that you don't ever want to lose your sober mind. You don't want to do things where you're out of your, your mind. So for that is debauchery, which literally means it's dissipation, or it's, uh, it's rebellion. It's a prodigal spirit. He goes, you don't want to be a prodigal spirit. You don't want to be running from God. You want to be running to God and be filled with the Spirit. So that means walk in the Spirit. That means if you're walking in the flesh, you're uh, appeasing the appetite of your mind or of your mouth uh, or of your flesh, then you can't be of God and you can't be His person. So walk in the Spirit and address one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. And when you begin to look at those words, there are a little bit of distinctions, but the question is, is, can you really make a difference between all of them? And the answer is no. So what does that mean to address one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs? Does it mean that that's all we do is walk around singing to one another? And I hope not for your sake. So what does that mean? It seems to mean that we would address each other and the Lord with a variety of expressions. That is not about singing psalms or it's not about in a sense, doing things a certain way, but there's variety and there's freedom as we approach the Lord. That if we want to bang on drums and we want to strum on instruments and we want to sing choruses, that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you express it as long as you're expressing it and you're creating a melody in your heart, that the rhythm of your heart is in tune with the Lord. That, I think, is what Paul is saying. And here's the deal. You and I cannot have the rhythm of our heart in tune with the Lord if we walk in darkness. Why? Because the Lord doesn't dwell in darkness. He dwells in the light. And so keep your life visible. Continually confess our sins one another. Ask that God may heal us from a painful past. Walk in the Spirit. Be careful in how we redeem our time. Make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because today may be your last day. And if today's the last day, will you make it count? Will you share your faith? Will you love your wife the way that God's called you to love her? Will you be gracious with your uh, conduct and how you ultimately speak to your children? Will you be the educator God's called you to be? Will you be the business person? Will you be God's man? Will you be God's woman? That's the message. And as we go about doing that, we should sing a song in our heart and then always be giving thanks with a grateful heart for everything. And that word everything in the Greek literally is the word pos, P-A-S, which literally just means that we would give uh, thanks for everything individually and corporately. That as many things as you could possibly name, you should give thanks for them. 
that you should give thanks for who God is and about what He's done in your life, that you should give thanks for meeting your everyday needs, that you should give thanks to the Lord for meeting you times of your emergency, that He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death, that you don't even have to fear evil because He's with you, because His rod and His staff, they bring you comfort. You can think about how He meets your eternal needs, that one day we're going to dine with Him forever. That's what we thank Him for. Thank Him for all of those things. And live in Him. And submit to the Father in all things. So we give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if we think about that word submitting, um, it's just this word. Uh, in, in a sense, it's a military word, which means to bring order. You submit. And, and in this same word, you see it time and time again throughout the Scriptures. But a handful of examples. You see that God's called us to submit everything to Him. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 and 28. Uh, that the church submits to Christ. Ephesians 5, 24. Uh, that we'll talk about next week. We sub- should submit to government. Romans chapter 13. I know there's a lot of us in here who are like, I can't do it. But you're called to do that. Uh, there's some of us in here that we have a hard time submitting to human institutions. But we should do that. 1 Peter 2, 13. Young people, you submit to your elders. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 5. Uh, servants, submit to their masters, your, to your authority, your bosses. 1 Peter 2, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. 1 Peter 3, 1. We submit as members of the body to our leaders. Uh, we see that, 1 Peter 5. So what are we doing? We're submitting to one another. Why? Because that honors Christ. Listen, friends. Are you honoring Christ? And maybe some of us, we need to hear this last warning in this word. There's so many of us that we think we're diligently walking in the, the, in the light, that we, we confess and we, we share things with other people and we're doing things in our duty to the Lord, but we don't respect authority in our life. And can I just say that you cannot claim to be walking in the light and not respect the God-given authority He's placed on and over you. Whether it be human institutions, whether it be authority in the local church or in your local government, at the end of the day, Paul says that one of the ways we reveal our conduct and our walking in the light with the Lord is by the way that we handle authority in our lives. We may not always like it. We may not always appreciate it. But at the end of the day, we do that because in honoring one another, revering one another, we revere God the most. And so this, listen to me. You cannot claim to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength and not submit in love to one another. Church, I love you. And I pray that today you and I would walk carefully in wisdom, knowing the God of truth as we leave this place. Let's pray. God, you are wise. You are all-knowing. Wisdom has always been. God, we ask, just as James said in James 1, that if anyone lacks wisdom, if he asks, you would give it generously. Lord, we want your wisdom. Help us to know how to walk in wisdom and in truth. Thank you for your word that has revealed such a thing to us, that we can walk in you, that we can love others and be obedient to the call that you have in our lives. I pray that you would help us to walk worthy of that call. 
Give us community and people to hold us accountable, to admonish us biblically, to help us when we're weak, to warn us when we're idle, and ultimately to encourage us when our hearts are just barely beating, when we're faint. Most of all, I pray that you would help us to walk in your spirit and to love one another well. And may you be with us as we leave this place. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.